Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Schaefer's Market Mashup. It is Tuesday, June 14th, and we are mired in another messy uh, investing landscape. So please welcome Mark Benzequin, the principal of investor education at OCC, which stands for the Options Clearing Corporation. And he's also an instructor at the Options Industry Council. Mark, you know, we've been talking about this for a while. It's good to finally have you on. Uh, Patrick, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. New guest, I always like to give you the floor and talk about certain points in your career that have led you to where you are. I mean, you've had all sorts of jobs in the options trading industry. So what are some key points that led you to where you are? Well, I started in 1997 uh, as a clerk for a trading group on the floor of the CBOE. And for whatever reasons, um, I was fortunate enough to kind of move up through the ranks over the years in my uh, 17 or 18 year career at uh, the CBOE, ranging from uh, crowd clerk and uh, transitioning over to the brokerage side where I ran the uh, brokerage desk uh, as well as the pit broker in the NASDAQ and Russell uh, trading pits. Um, about 2015 or so, I thought it was time for a change, wanted something a little bit more meaningful in my life and was looking to get into education. And luckily, there was a role that I was able to uh, transition into, which took advantage of my uh, financial background uh, on the trading floor, as well as my desire to educate. And uh, that's how I landed at OCC. But just like learning about options is a building block from uh, you know, learning about the basics and moving up into more uh, intermediate and advanced concepts, one uh, concept builds upon the previous one. It's kind of the same thing with my job that is each role that I had led me to a better understanding of the options industry and, and trading options and managing options, et cetera. Um, each position that I had built on the previous one to where I am today. It's been about 25 years now in the business and uh, I really can't think of a a better or more fortunate uh, position for me to be in when it uh, you know comes to my professional life. Uh, of all the various positions you've had, you, you spoke you spoke about broker, clerk, manager, presenter. Which one prepared you the most to dive into the educational sector of it? I would have to say that really when I started here at OCC, I was working on the investor education desk where uh, we responded to phone calls, emails, and chats for people looking to learn about options, people that had questions about uh, corporate actions, contract adjustments, stock splits, things like that. Um, so that really dealing with the retail investor directly really um, lit the flame of my, or or I should say, really added to the interest that was already there to educate my desire to, you know, have something more substantive in terms of my career, getting started there at OCC and directly um, interacting with the retail public 
really uh, fanned the flames of my desire to educate and and um, really enhances my role today because I, I deal with these retail investors on a daily basis, but also um, I've transitioned my role to where I'm creating online content, online courses, podcasts, um, uh, manage the webinar program here at OIC, et cetera. So it all feeds into my desire to educate and to have a more meaningful existence in my profession. Yeah, and we'll get into some of the content you guys have produced because it's, it's quite excellent. Well, thank you. To focus on more of your education, um, I think, I, I, you know, I did a little LinkedIn lurking. I saw, oh. I think it was Illinois State. Yeah, go Redbirds. Okay. But I did graduate with a degree in economics, uh, and really I owe all that to um, – my high school, really. Senior year in high school, we all had to take an economics class, uh, and I absolutely loved it. It was one of the things that just made sense. You know, some some subjects click with some people, and economics certainly clicked with me. And uh, I think that really led to my interest in pursuing uh, a career in the financial markets. So uh, that high school economics class, I remember taking my first ever exam in college um, for, I think it was Economics 101, you know, intro to macroeconomics, maybe. Um, and I got 100% on the exam. And I thought, wow, this is going to be uh, this college career. This is going to be something pretty easy. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, didn't certainly didn't finish out that way. But the idea is that, you know, it clicked. Uh, economics clicked. It made sense to me, supply and demand. Um, you know, some of the different concepts that we learned about, uh, you know, through my uh, college career. And, and then I, you know, took those concepts and that uh, interest into, you know, my professional life. And uh, like I said, 25 years down the road, I'm, uh, you know, still doing it, still finding joy in what I'm doing and, and still getting excited about it. So it's interesting you mentioned high school economics. I feel like that's I've always wondered, I went to a liberal arts school, so I took my fair share of econ classes. In fact, I went into um, I went in to undergrad initially trying to be an econ major. And, ooh, it did not work out so well. No. Um, but do you think either college or high school economics classes are diving into the ins and outs of options trading? Should they be diving into it more? Because... I, 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 I don't know. I, I kind of want to get your opinion as someone who has been around this for so long. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't say that the high school economics classes should get into you know that minutia of finance. They should, certainly should cover finance. They should, certainly should cover uh, you know the basics of investing and you know, probably sticking to stock uh, investing, for example. Um, college, you know, certainly. Uh, I think some of those finance courses, you know, a, a finance major is different than an economics major. So those finance courses, uh, I'm sure, do get into uh, options trading. As a matter of fact, I've uh, uh, spoken a couple times at some local universities here uh, about options, you know, in, in their finance class, visiting and uh, doing presentations on the basics of uh, options to some of their um uh, undergrad and postgrad finance courses. So it's definitely something that um, 
I think college students should be looking at. And certainly, you know, one of the things that we do with our OIC webinars, there's a, um, a volume chart that we put up at the beginning where we talk about the options industry since it, its inception in 1973 uh, up until now and, and the, the record volumes that we've seen uh, in the past couple of years. And a lot of that volume is driven by a younger audience, by a younger uh, group of investors. You know, these, these Reddit, um, and, and these meme stocks that, uh, you know, people are, are, uh, investing in. Um, and they're investing in not only the stocks themselves, but the options. So one of the things that I really like to do is, is, you know, help these new investors understand what it is that they're getting themselves into, um, with investing, uh, with options by, Knowing the risks, knowing the rewards, uh, going into it with their, their eyes wide open. So, you know, your question, should schools be doing more to educate, uh, their students, uh, about options? I don't know about options specifically. Uh, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would make that case. I certainly would make the case that both at the high school and college level, um, that students should have not only an opportunity, but in some cases for high school, for example, I think it should be mandatory that students learn about the basics of economics. They, uh, you know, learn about how they should learn how to, you know, balance their checking account. They should learn how to, you know, buy and sell stock. They should learn about credit cards um, and loans and things like that. Because these, these are all, you know, concepts and things that they're going to that they're going to run into later in their lives. And, and my gosh, I don't know anyone who uh, gets into more credit card trouble than, you know, college students. So, de so definitely I think some degree of financial literacy uh, should be required for all, uh, you know, for, for everybody. Well, let's dive into some current strategies okay. um, that could be relevant in, in certain hypothetical situations. Um, we were just recently, end of May, it looked like equities were starting to rally or at least consolidate for a little bit. Now, obviously, in the last couple of weeks, it's proven to be a fake out. Right. Everybody bit on the pump fake. So if stocks were to recover again, what are some mechanics or strategies that a retail trader could do that would protect them from another fake out like that? Um, well, an excellent question. You're absolutely right. We thought the market was rebounding, you know, maybe a couple months ago. Um, and, uh, recent events have shown us that not only is that not the case, but it's actually, you know, even worse than we had imagined. Uh, if things do rebound, which, you know, may or may not happen, certainly, um, there's, uh, definitely different ways that you can protect yourself. You know, one of the great things about options is that uh, they offer the ability to meet a number of objectives, uh, whether you're looking to generate income, you're looking to speculate on a stock, uh, something like that, for example, or mitigate risk. And that's, you know, something that I really enjoy speaking about risk mitigation, because when you talk to people that don't trade options or don't know much about options, uh, and you ask them why they don't trade options, the number one thing that they tell you is that they're too risky. Uh, 
without realizing that there are actual strategies put in place specifically to mitigate that risk. And there's two types of options, calls and puts. For uh, for your viewers, for your listeners that may be new to this, buying a call gives the investor the right to purchase stock at a specific price within a specific period of time. Selling that call obligates the investor to deliver those shares at a specific price within a certain period of time. On the flip side is puts. Buying a put gives the investor the right to sell their stock at a certain price within a certain period of time. And then selling that put obligates them to buy it. The reason I bring that up is because buying a put, as I mentioned, gives you the ability to sell stock at a specific price. It gives you an exit price. So if I'm long 100 shares of stock from, say, $100 and stock is now trading, uh, let's say, 110, I've got $10 of profit in that stock. If I want to protect that profit, or if I don't want to lose money um, uh, on the stock overall, I can buy a put at a exit price, uh, at a strike price, say 105, for example. So if stock does do- drop back down to, say, $100, well, I can exercise my put and I can deliver that stock or put that stock to somebody else at my strike price, in this case, 105. So for you know, people looking to protect their portfolio, you can look at a put as insurance. Um, you know, we've got insurance on our cars. We've got insurance on our homes, on our life even. Uh, why not insure our retirement assets, right? Why not insure our portfolios? So purchasing a put is one way to do it to protect that risk. Uh, you know, stock goes back up and, and you're looking to protect against another decline in the market. Maybe a put is the way to go. The problem with the put, or I should say the, uh, you know, there's pros and cons. The con to the put is you've got to pay for it, right? Anytime you buy options, you've got to put out money. You've got to outlay cash. And now there's a twist on the put, what we call a protective put when it's paired with stock. There's a twist on the protective put where you can sell a call against it. And that package, the long stock position, the long put position and the short call position is called a collar, an options collar. So what you're doing is you're putting an exit price on your stock. Should it drop uh, to where you want to sell it, you've got that exit price from the put. You're paying for that put by selling the call. So now it's almost like having insurance for free or at a significantly reduced cost. Um, the, Downside to that is now by selling the call, you're obligated to sell that stock uh, at your strike price. So if we had the example stock was trading 110, we put a 105 put uh, on the downside. We sell, let's say, a 115 call against it to pay for that put. Now, if stock drops to 100, we go ahead and exercise our put and we sell shares at 105. If stock, on the other hand, goes to 115 or beyond, because we've got that short call, we're now obligated to deliver those shares at 115. But keep in mind, we bought the stock originally for 100. It was trading 110 when we enacted this position. So if it drops down to 105, we sell the stock. We've got our $5 profit there. 
stock goes to 115, we sell our stock. Now we've got a $15 profit there. So uh, by either purchasing a put outright to cover the stock or to protect the stock or to pay for that put by selling a call against it through the use of a collar, those are two very um, widely used strategies that investors use to protect their position uh, and two of my favorite option strategies out there as well. Yeah, you did a great job there, I think, of highlighting the the massive degree of customization. Right. Out there. It's, it's, it's so, you are taking complete ownership of your portfolio through these strategies and mechanisms. Well, and, and that's the thing. You make a great point. You're taking ownership because... Uh, investing in options isn't like investing with stock. You know, it's not typically a set it and forget it strategy. You don't just buy an option, put it in the drawer, and then, you know, see what happens come expiration. Um, options require vigilance. They require management, maintenance. Um, they require you to uh, see what's going on with the market, see what's going on with a specific sector. Um, and see what's going on with your specific stock and manage that position accordingly. Now, sometimes you don't need to do anything, right? It, it could be a set it and forget it strategy, but if the market is going against you, um, it behooves you as the investor to, you know, manage that position. There's, you know, oftentimes that, you know, we get contact from individual investors about, say, a corporate action that they didn't realize was occurring, a, a merger, a stock split, something like that, dividends being paid. And uh, that leads to unexpected consequences with their position. And what I always tell them in a very delicate way is, you know, look, it's your money. You need to be the steward of this money, right? No one else is going to be looking out for you. Your broker uh, isn't going to, you know, be looking out for you on a daily basis to see what's happening. Um, you know, it's your money. You need to take, uh, uh, you need to take a long, hard look at what's going on. Be aware of what's happening with your stock, with the market, with the sector, et cetera, and, uh, and manage that position accordingly. No one's going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Very well said. So you mentioned before, uh, the, the content that you're you're producing over there at OIC, mm-hmm. and I saw on your LinkedIn a great YouTube video on bull call spreads. I think it was last week, which was perfect timing because you know, over here at Schaefer's, uh, we are soon rolling out our own vertical product. So at least to start, explain to listeners you know what it means by like a vertical strategy, and then elaborate a little bit more on the bull call spreads. Okay. Um, so there's simple trades, uh, and then there are complex trades. A simple trade is simply buying or selling a call, buying or selling a put, one leg, one trade. A complex trade is where there is more than one leg involved. You're buying a call and selling a call. You're buying a put and selling a put. Uh, when you do, and we call those spreads. When you are doing a spread in the same month, but a different strike, that's called a vertical spread. So, for example, you're buying a $50 call for a August expiry and you're selling a 55 strike call for the August expiry. That's a vertical spread. 
if you are buying uh, a $50 call in August and selling a $50 call in December, that would be a calendar spread or a time spread. Um, if you're buying a $50 call in August and selling a $55 call in September, that would be a diagonal. So different strikes, different months. Um, so the, the way that we look at it, same, same expiration, different strikes is a vertical, different expiration, same strikes is a calendar, different strikes, different months is a diagonal. Now, with the bull call spread, it's a form of a vertical spread. So you got the same month expiration, but different strikes. You're buying a lower strike call, such as the $50 strike, and you're selling the $55 strike, again, of the same month, same call. That's a bull call spread. And the idea of a bull call spread is that, as the name implies, you're bullish on the stock. You think it's going to go up. And so you could just buy a call outright, um, which a lot of investors do. They're speculating. They think the stock's going to go up, so they buy a call option. And let's say that $50 strike costs $3 in, in premium, so $300 in, in real, real world money. Um, the idea is that you think the stock is going to go up beyond $50. Actually, you think it's going to go up beyond 53 because that would be your break-even point. If you were to buy stock for 50, but you paid $3 for that right to purchase the stock, you're actually paying 53. So that's the idea of buying a call. Now, the way that I like to explain it is what that call gives you the right. Uh, it gives you the ability to participate in any upside movement of a stock from your strike price, theoretically, to infinity. Right. There's no upper limit on it as how high a stock can go. Uh, but when, when was the last time you saw a stock trading for infinity? Right. It, they're not going to go that high. So let's say I thought the stock was going to go from $50 to, say, $55. It's not going to go to 60. It's not going to go to 100. It's not going to go to 1,000. If I only think it's going to go to 55, then why am I purchasing all of that extra upside potential when I don't need it? And that upside potential costs money. In this case, it costs $3. If I only think it's going to go to 55, I can sell that $55 strike and maybe I'm able to sell that for a dollar. So now my net debit of the trade, I bought the $50 strike for $3. I sold the $55 strike at a dollar. Now my net debit is $2, right? Which is what, 33% less capital I have to come up with. Um, it also gives me 33% less risk because now I'm only at risk of losing $2 as opposed to losing three. The drawback is that if stock does go beyond that $55 range, then I'm going to be selling the share. So if stock closes at $60, let's say at expiration, I buy stock for 50. I'm obligated now to sell that at 55. So I've made a $5 profit on the stock minus the $2 that I paid for the spread. I actually have a profit now of $3. So if the stock goes beyond my short strike, that's going to be the limitation. I'm not going to be able to participate 
um, beyond that strike. But the idea is I didn't expect it to go there to begin with. So it is a win-win situation, assuming things go right for me. If stock goes down to $45, right, uh, and now my forecast was entirely incorrect, stock didn't go up, it went down instead, now I'm only losing $2 as opposed to losing 3 So my risk is limited, but my reward is limited as well. It's the most efficient way, I feel like, to allocate your capital when, when, you're, when you're making this play. Yeah, certainly it's, it's uh, you know, when you look at a professional trader, professional market makers, they love spreads that defined risk, defined reward. Um, it's a way to uh, potentially profit from your forecast and your motivation, but it also limits your risk. And, and as you know, you know, limited risk means limited reward. Mm-hmm. So when you're, um, you know, so obviously just like anything else, it's a balance. There's going to be a trade off. Um, if you're getting something in one hand, you've got to give it away in the other. Yep, absolutely. And especially in the current current market ecosystem we find ourselves in where there's not a, a lot of upside, something specific like that bull call spread does seem like a prudent route. So and, got- and then and then you can flip it with the bear call spread, right? You think the stock is going to go down, you can do the bear call spread, but by selling a call, now you've got unlimited risk well i should say significant risk um because again there's no telling where that stock may go so um by adding another leg to a spread whether it's a bear call spread bull call spread bear put spread bull put spread what have you by adding that other leg um it's uh, it really limits your risk typically limits your reward as well but um, from a risk mitigation standpoint, which again is one of my favorite things about options, and is very timely in the market as we're seeing with, uh, you know, the the streets running red with uh, with blood of of these share prices that are falling. Risk mitigation uh, is definitely something that I think a lot of people are going to be looking at. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I've got. Eh, I'd say three questions left. We can just get to them rapid fire here. And okay. We'll get you out of here. First one's a broader, you know, we, we, we've gone very deep into this. You know, we've been very surgical so far with the questions. A broader, what is some life advice you'd have for retail traders, options traders about staying in the market right now? Because you got to have a strong stomach and... I might have just given, you know, said the advice myself, but what do you have for them? Well, you're right. You, you definitely need to have a strong stomach. Um, and, and while I uh, am precluded from making recommendations or providing advice, of course. Um, I, you know, I, I will tell you that I am of the opinion, um, and it is strictly my opinion. Um, well, let me put it this way. I, I, oftentimes look to Warren Buffett. You know, Warren Buffett is famous for saying, when everybody's selling, you should be buying. When everyone's buying, you should be selling. You know, I I guarantee you there are plenty of people out there right now that are buying in this market and and feel that the market is on sale. You know, stocks are on sale right now. Options are on sale right now. Um, And a lot of people are getting into the market based on that smart money uh, for lack of a better word, might say that now is the opportune time to get into the market. But uh, doing so 
Um, when you invest at any time, right, you should have a degree of caution. Uh, as I mentioned before, these aren't set it and forget it strategies. So regardless of whether you're in a bull market or a bear market, you're going to want to monitor what you're doing. For new investors out there that are just getting their feet wet, um, you know, a, a lot of people say that it's best to start small. It's best to start slowly, kind of see what happens. You know, certainly don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Right. Uh, you know, and I think these these um, suggestions or these um, ideas apply regardless of what market uh, you are in. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, for, for lack of a better word, that's what I would go with. Start, you know, go small, go slow. Make sure you know what it is that you're getting yourself into um, and always seek out um, seek out an advisor, seek out your trading firm, your brokerage firm, talk to them. And get all of the education that you can. Make sure you know what what it is that you're getting yourself into. Start small, start slowly. That might be the uh, the episode title here when in post production. So <laughs> I like that. Two more questions, and they're fun ones. Did a little Instagram deep dive. Looks like you're a big drummer music guy. I am, yes, sir. So really quick, I don't really, I don't, I don't want to hear explanations. Just rapid fire, your top five favorite drummers, go. All right. Um, Neil Peart from Rush, uh, who sadly passed away um, about a year and a half ago. It was the first celebrity death that actually affected me. Mm -hmm. um, John Bonham, Led Zeppelin. Keith Moon from The Who. Stuart Copeland from The Police. And uh, number five, boy, there's about a thousand of them. Number five, I'm going to say my childhood friend from a band called Rage Against the Machine, Brad Wilk. Wow, a childhood friend. Yes. No way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sadly, they're coming to Chicago next month, and uh, I'm going to be out of town, so I'm not going to be able to catch their reunion show. But yeah, yeah I've seen I've... Them, uh, several times. I will not also be uh, able to attend. I, I, I looked into it. I was I was so excited when they announced, and it just the logistics never worked out for me. Yeah, um, but no, I I've like got a that. few shows, few shows like that this summer that things aren't quite working out. So I'm moving the pieces around. You know, two years without concerts is is long enough. Absolutely, absolutely. I um, no, that's that's I I, I like that list a lot. I think the only <laughs> addendum I would have had is maybe roll, but. Is he really a drummer now? That does, uh, you know, we can. That's up for that's episode two. Is we can. Yeah, but again, Taylor Hawkins, you know, a great drummer, great energy. Very, very sad to have seen him pass. Yeah, sad, sad stuff. Okay, so to wrap up, we got Mark Benzaquin here, the uh, principal of investor education at OCC, also an instructor at the Options Industry Council. Uh, to close and sign off. What's going on at OCC and OIC lately? I'll give you the the floor here. You got three minutes on the clock. Uh, plug what's been happening. Um, well, you know, I, I think one of the most exciting things that we've done recently there is, as I'm sure you know, when an investor first opens an options uh, trading account, they need to receive a document called the characteristics and risks of standardized options. Uh, we also call it the options disclosure document or ODD for short. Um, the ODD has been... Uh, a, a document for the past uh, 15 years or so that there's been supplements and addendums made to it. So uh, kind of piecemeal thrown in the booklet, 
Long story short, OCC um, underwent a project where we completely re uh, rewrote, for lack of a better word, the uh, disclosure document, um, encompassing all of those addendums in a single document, making it more streamlined, a little bit more easy to read. So we uh, released that in, I believe, August of last year. My team, and specifically myself, um, took on a project to do what we call a quick guide to that ODD, uh, where we kind of summarize a lot of the information in there, make it much more digestible, um, more interesting to read, more appealing visually, um, and simplifying the document uh, as a whole. Now, it's certainly not a substitute for the ODD, more as a, um, a companion piece to it. So uh, for the last uh, several months, that's what I've been involved with, uh, designing that guide. And it was now just released uh, a couple of weeks ago on our website, the OCC.com and uh, the OIC's website, optionseducation.org. And um, so it's something that we're very, very proud of. We think the investors will get a, a good amount of use out of that. And then I've also been creating new courses for our uh, OCC Learning Center online. Um, we just released a course not too long ago explaining about the options Greeks. There's another course that I'm finishing up now, hope to have released within the next uh, month or so. That's going to be all about uh, options volatility. And, um, and then I'm uh, scripting the next course, which is going to be some of the things that we talked about today, uh, option strategies paired with stock. That's amazing. Uh, we're running out of time here. So thank you so much, Mark. I will include the links to, to both OIC and OCC. Thanks again. Can't wait to have you on for another episode. Patrick, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Take care, Mark. You too. Thank you. Bye.